1: Look. Welcome, everyone, to Rockham Nation Podcast. Uh, we're here for a brand new episode of Dive Cuts, at season six, episode twenty-one, and we're here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers, surprisingly not ranked in the top twenty-five in their basketball program. Uh, I am your host, Sam Stelling uh Matt Harris is like somewhere out west. Uh I want to say Utah. Um so we have the other Matt as uh as as we kind of do when one Matt is not around, we just sub in the other. So pinch hitting for for Matt Harris is is Matt Watkins, our our resident bracketology expert. Matt, how are you? I'm doing good. The wave of mats is coming at you. <laughs> we also have have uh matt smith who writes about wrestling um he has not been on dive cuts although maybe one of these days we'll just get all the mats onto a podcast you guys can talk about whatever you want to talk about um so last dive cuts recorded i guess uh last me and the other matt had a talk we were leading into the week of basically facing south carolina who uh objectively is is not a good basketball team and uh having them at home and then going on the road and facing tennessee who you know by all accounts is a very good basketball team um last week both matt and i pretty much said hey look like this is a week where if you want to go one and one and lose a competitive game on the road uh to tennessee it's a good week just, you know, try not to get blown out. Like the protective uh, metrics are, uh, are 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 bad enough. You don't need like an, another ugly quad win loss. Um, so what the Tigers did is they struggled a little bit, uh, mostly on the defensive end against South Carolina. Uh, but the game was never really in any serious danger. I mean, they, they looked like they were pretty much in control. They were able to kind of score whenever they wanted to. Uh, and then they kind of, Went on a little surge and and pulled away, and that was a little too much for, uh, for the Gamecocks. Uh, but the Tigers went on the road and went into Knoxville, and DeAndre Golston hits a roughly about thirty five forty footer um, as time is expiring to defeat the uh, the top ten ranked Vols for what is inarguably to be their their biggest win of the year, and all around, uh, uh, made for a pretty awesome Saturday, uh, Watkins, as you were watching the ball sail through the air, knowing that that green light Golston, uh, has been clutching that situation before in defeating UCF in early December, what was racing through your mind? Um, to be perfectly honest,
0: I was scribbling some notes, um, as the ball was inbounded and happened to look up as he had caught and heading up court. And of course I I watched. Um and as he got into his motion, I paid particular interest. I didn't know if he was going to be the one taking the shot or if they were looking for a looking to pass up the sideline for a shot in the corner. Um but once he got got behind it and did his uh I don't even know if we'll call it a floater, but uh it, it wasn't a true jump shot um and that ball just looked like it, it looked pretty good from the side view you know it's like you can judge when it's when it's in the air whether it's got the right distance and that one did um, of course uh, but yeah i i that was that was a shock i i may have said something to the effect of he did it again
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> that's, I that's actually what i tweeted from Rockham nation like oh my god he did it again
0: I typically am pretty quiet watching the game. Uh what with having kids and it being an evening and um uh, being lost in my own thoughts. Uh but yeah, that was uh that one that one drew an exclamation out of me. He did it again, and that he did.
1: Yeah, I uh I also am a, a relatively quiet basketball watcher. Um I usually watch uh at home and um, with the you know surrounded by our our four dogs and uh, sometimes Allie is around sometimes not and uh, uh, this this time she happened to be in the kitchen and uh, and I was uh, I, I I screamed I like I just yelled out loud and and Bishop um, anyone who has seen my my like Twitter profile the cover photo. Uh, is still of Arturo, who we lost last year, and and Bishop. So Bishop is on the left, Arturo is on the right. So if you want to know kind of you know what Bishop looks like, that's Bishop, and he, uh, he got excited right there with me. So I screamed, I said, "Oh my god!" and uh and Bishop like hopped off the couch and started barking at me, and <laughs> and chaos ensued in the living room at at Shea Snelling. Um, it was a really exciting moment and i just want to say like as somebody i really don't you know get up I, i'll get frustrated watching them sometimes because you know like you i want them to be better defensively <laughs> and they're just not they're just not good defensively um and so you get frustrated when when certain things happen that that you feel like they should control better but you know for the most part like i've seen enough uh basketball of the years that i don't really get too too up or down but uh but I think that's sort of the beauty of, of basketball is as, as many times as we've seen like a buzzer beater, uh, it, it never takes away the excitement, the fun of that moment. And it makes it even sweeter when it's your team that's hitting the buzzer beater uh, to win the game as opposed to um, having one sank on you. Like I can't even imagine what it feels to be like. <laughs> a Tennessee fan this week after watching Vandy hit one at the buzzer and then turning around and, and, and really thinking that you'd, you'd won both games. Um, you know, they were in control against Vandy and they were seemingly in control against Missouri who just, you know, for whatever reason, just would not quite go away. Uh, and then turned both into losses. Pretty, pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. That's a tough week to be a, to be a Tennessee fan. Although, um, you know, I think I don't want to speak for them, but I think they've probably had their fair share of disappointment over the years in football the last two decades, and that probably weighs a little bit heavier on their minds. But yeah, that was a that was a tough week.
1: Yeah, the uh, I I can't imagine there's been you know many teams in the uh, in the annals of college basketball history who have you know seen basically you know the same scenario play itself out two games in a row. Uh the timing of it was actually pretty funny as well. I wrote about it a little bit in study hall. Um you know Missouri really you know this th- I think the one thing that we can say that we know for sure about Missouri is if they're able to make shots, they can play with anybody. Um they're certainly capable. They've shown that they're capable. And when, when, you know, when their threes are going in, like there's, you know, clearly no defense that, uh, that can really kind of slow them down. Cause like, you know, Tennessee is a legitimately good defense. They've been fortunate this year with, with the three point opponent, three point shooting, uh, until this week that, um, you know, I think it's something Ken Pomeroy has actually commented on, um, you know, that, that. Normally, there's a little bit higher variance in, in opponent three-point shooting, and UT just hasn't seen that this year. Um, so for Missouri to kind of come into Knoxville and and shoot over fifty percent, um, you know, clearly, I mean, a part partly an outlier, but also you know something that is going to allow them to kind of get some other momentum offensively. And it ended up with a a seventeen-point lead uh, early in the in the second half. Uh, and the Vols were able to erase a lot of it, um, thanks to a multitude of factors. Uh, do you have any uh, takes on which may have been the most primary of those factors?
0: Um, I think it was mostly what we've seen this year, losing uh, losing guys behind the arc. Tennessee got, they, they started moving the ball better. Um, obviously, Tyreek Key knocked down shots. Um, you can move the ball as well as you want, but if you're not making shots, it doesn't matter. Uh, but he started knocking down shots, and Mizzou lost him numerous times. What was he, like five of seven, something like that, in the second half mm-hmm. from behind the arc. And you need you need that type of effort um, to stage a 17-point comeback and erase that lead in what seemed to be about 10 minutes of game time. Uh, but that, and I, I'm not one to criticize officiating one way or other. I like to (laughs) criticize it generally um, that way too many fouls or way too few fouls are being called in a game. Um, But this one was probably fairly criticized. And the the first half was pretty much a war. And I think it almost benefited Mizzou a little bit because they were able to get some turnovers. Um, But then in the second half, it just 180. They were calling every single thing, and I even mused on Twitter that I really thought the third to last possession where Kobe drove in and got a bucket that I didn't really think that was a foul. I mean, it was there was contact. I thought he went straight up, and I had no problem with them not calling it. But there were about ten fouls called that half where there were less contact. So it was the it was the consistency, and Tennessee ended up shooting what. 15 more free throws than Mizzou and that really really hampered them with Kobe being in foul trouble Diara fouling out I think Hodge fouled out with five fouls in the second half Mm -hmm. so it was you know if that game had gone to overtime Mizzou was going to be in a really really tough spot
1: yeah yeah uh I was I was hoping you're going (laughs) to take that and run into the the officiating uh, fiasco because uh as i mean i've said i've written i'm i'm i feel like i'm pretty consistent on this uh i feel like college basketball officiating is generally bad um all around there are guys who are slightly better guys that are slightly worse uh but for for the most part like it's just not a well officiated game i think part of that is is you know the rules make it make it tougher and you know the NCAA keeps wanting to uh, sort of encourage offense and, and, you know, make it easier for teams to score. and uh, but, but coaches don't really seem to want to adjust to that. And so they still kind of run out these same really, really like overly physical defenses uh, that just foul a lot. And, you know, the truth is that the problem on Saturday was way more what you're kind of talking about, which is the consistency of it, rather than... Like Missouri got called for a bunch of phantom, you know bullshit in the second half. you know the reality is is they were they were mostly really good foul calls, like I don't think there was a lot of times where I'm like, oh yeah he didn't he didn't foul him um, but it was more of like that that same thing happened in the first half, and you didn't call it then, you know, and if you call it early, the players adjust and right right so when you when you let the game play loose in the first half and then come and call it tight in the second half, that's gonna lead to just a lot of free throws and I really thought that I want to say it was like a nine oh run that that Tennessee had where like you know the first like six five or six of their points, I think it was six points came via free throws um I think they were like six of eight from the free throw line or six of nine from the free throw line uh through a stretch that. You know, th- there were just so many fouls. Like Missouri had three fouls called on them within like three seconds of game action, and it's just like uh, it becomes and they were touch fouls. They were yeah, touch it, fouls. It, it becomes so difficult as a defender when you're not able to know what is going to be called. You're not. You don't know what you're going to be able to to do defensively. Uh That even if you you reach in and. Uh, you know, and kind of try to poke at the ball. And this is something I think Des Moines gets, uh, you know, or was getting dinged for at least a couple times, you know, and even if it doesn't cause a turnover, maybe the guy like still keeps possession of the ball. That's something that wasn't called in the first half. And in the second half, like they're just, they decided to call it. Um, I think that was a big reason why Tennessee was able to kind of, you know, gain momentum. And as the game got closer, Missouri started playing a little tighter on offense and then, uh and then i think UT was able to kind of make a few threes to really get the you know the the momentum to swing in their favor um there were some really really big key plays i think of the uh, the steal and breakaway uh f- which led to diara's dunk um as one of the big plays uh and i think maybe as big of <laughs> i mean it's it's hard to uh, to say the shot that won the game um, wasn't as big as another shot that he made earlier in the game. But I really thought that, uh, I want to say it was to bring them uh, 81-80, I think is what the score might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, when Golston hit uh, what was a really well-defended uh, three-point attack, he, he hit that shot and got a four-point lead down to one with very little time on the shot clock. Um, And I thought that that was a huge, huge, huge play. Uh, And, and then basically it's like Tennessee just did really everything wrong um, down the stretch when it came to securing a win. Um, I know we kind of talked about uh, the possibility of talking about like the whole foul up three thing. Uh, I disagree with how they went about it. Um, I'm, overall a proponent of of defending mainly because i feel like if you're in the lead you want to shrink the game um and that elongates the game and and introduces more variables and i just think if you defend hard and and try to uh defend the three point shot that you're going to reduce the amount of time and error that can happen in those those situations Uh, Tennessee after the foul, uh, they got a little lucky with with Sean East missing his first free throw. Um, But then Santi, just Santi Vescovi, just crumbled. And some credit, I think. Tough week for that guy. Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, and then on top of that, like, Rick Barnes, for some reason, has a a freshman big in on the free throw. And... (laughs) And he he causes a lane violation, you know, by basically, you know, trying to get in for a rebound, because you know, Missouri is not a good rebounding team. Um just the absolute perfect chain of events for Missouri, uh, and and culminated with, with Golston shot. So just absolute disaster uh of a handling of like the last thirty or so seconds of the game uh by Tennessee. Missouri was fortunate to kinda of come out. Um I know you want to get after me on the follow up three thing so I'm 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 here for it I'm ready for it
0: <laughs> Well to be perfectly honest I am a context dependent proponent and by that I mean in some situations I'm in favor other situations I'm not and if I can explain I did do a little bit of research on this and
1: uh well before you before you get into the research <laughs> let me ask you this if you're Rick Barnes in that situation do you think that he, uh, the instruction to foul three at that time at that uh, juncture of the game was the correct call?
0: You'll have to remind me. I believe when the foul was committed, there was what four or five seconds left, because we cause Mizzou fouled on the inbounds pass and no time went off, and there was yeah, four yeah correct. Something. So there
1: was there was so th- this is you know uh, I think kind of goes into why I tend to kind of be a believer of just. Playing out the game, Um, there was 4.1 seconds when he committed the foul. Okay.
0: Um, So,
1: yeah. So, essentially, like, then Nick Honor, uh, so Missouri got the ball back basically down two uh, with no time whatsoever coming up the clock.
0: I would, in that situation, I would agree with um, Rick Barnes' decision. And there's three factors that I consider in it two of them are in favor of fouling, one of them is not. Um, the two things that I think are a big factor pro foul in that situation is that Mizzou up until that point of time was shooting over 50% from three-point range, uh, which chances of, of tying a game up are much higher when you've got a team that is just bringing their flamethrower out all game from behind the arc. And the other thing, perhaps even more importantly, um, is that Mizzou is not a good rebounding team. Uh, Tennessee is, if not the best, one of the best in the league. So you put them on the line, if they make the first and try to intentionally miss the second, the odds of getting that rebound are incredibly high for Tennessee and incredibly low for Mizzou, and you're going down to the other end of the Court in the exact same situation as this. Um, that being said, the big caveat to all of this is that I'll get into the numbers in just a second, but the chances of losing in regulation are higher when you foul. So if you're the team that is better poised to win in overtime, which I don't think anyone could argue that Tennessee wasn't, again, with DRF fouled out. Hodge fouled out, Kobe Brown with four, and you have you've played nine scholarship players in the game, and I'm counting Maybor and Majak in and that. <laughs> um, so nine players entered the game, seven are available. One has four fouls. Your best player has four fouls. So in that note, it would not be advisable to foul. But I think given all of those factors, I would be more inclined to do what he did, um, and you just hope that your senior who has been there for approximately 15 years, can knock down a free throw. And if he doesn't knock down the first, knock down the second. And if neither of those happen, do not step in the lane to stop the clock and not require Mizzou to get a rebound and give them a set play to get inbounds. Um, So there's a lot of things that went wrong. All of them went wrong. And, you know, that's the risk you run. But to get to those numbers, I was going to say the – What's called the insta-loss, as Ken Pomeroy has noted, the insta-loss when fouling um, is 2.5%. So the chances of a foul occurring in that situation over the years, this is based on past data, is 2.5%. When you don't foul, the chance of an insta-loss is 0.28%. Which both of those are incredibly small numbers, and Mizzou just increased one of them. <laughs> but comparatively, when you go down through the the marks, and I'm not going to go through each one, but they, uh, the website College Basketball Analytics did a study on this over however long they've been doing play tracking data, and the difference between fouling and forcing the team to go to the line versus allowing a three point. Shot to be taken, you're roughly twice more likely to go to overtime um, when you do not foul. So the odds are somewhere between 16 to 18 percent when you allow a three pointer to be shot, somewhere between seven and nine percent when you foul, and that's the odds of going to overtime. But then again, you have the caveat of losing in regulation, which is more likely if you foul. So you know, it's it's a lot of numbers, but suffice it to say that if you can foul and do it correctly and do it at the right time, not in the course of shooting, I think it's a good move. But that's a lot to pull off, and it depends on what team you're playing.
1: Yeah, see, I think my other issue with it is it relies on so many factors that you know, because as a as a basketball coach I, like i really don't think you're spending a lot of time in practice like trying to foul ball handlers mm-hmm. um and trying to foul at the right time with the um, you know waiting until the right moment in the right space uh and getting those factors to be favorable for uh for you and and your defense um I just think it's easier to like teach your team to defend well. Um like make sure you know like or make sure that they know who like the good three-point shooters are, you know, and like yeah, Missouri sh- was shooting the ball well against them. Um not many of those shots were uh were like defended threes. Uh and like that's another thing that I think You know, when you kind of talked about, like, you know, Tennessee and their um, overall, like, uh, until this past week, the lack of variance of, you know, teams shooting the ball from outside well against them. You're going to get open three looks during during the course of a game. You know, do you make them? And against Tennessee this year, the the answer has largely been no until this week. And this week, Missouri uh, and, and Vanderbilt both we're making shots at a, at a a better clip than than Tennessee has faced all year. So I think for me like one of the things that I would I I I don't think I would have fouled. Um I'm going to I just pulled up the stat broadcast. Broadcast um because they did foul Sean East. Um that foul was on um uh, Mashak how do you say, uh, uh, Jemai? How do you is that Mashak? Mashak?
0: I think they are saying it Mashak on the on Mayshock? the telecast. How it's actually pronounced, I don't know. Yeah, I do not really trust the SEC network crew, um, Tom <laughs> Hart and John Sunvold, notwithstanding. They do a great job. the The rest, I, you know, I
1: yeah, Ravitch is good. Jimmy <laughs> Dykes is good, but but we had, we had Perry Clark on the call. Is that right? I kind I of enjoyed
0: Perry Clark. I'm not like, going to lie. Did, I did kind
1: of, yeah. Like I, I, I think I generally like Perry Clark, but I don't He's know. He's not a I good announcer, but I, I enjoy calling it. a game. Like, has he called a Mizzou game before? I had not,
0: I do not recall him ever doing that. And it was, it was a surprise that he could not be a good announcer and me also enjoy him at the same time, but he managed to strike that balance which is a very delicate one and he he did. Um but yes, I as far as the pronunciation I am not 100% sure on that.
1: <laughs> well anyway, uh so Mashak Mashak um I I realize that probably not a lot of our listeners are um are up on the Tennessee roster, but he's a former uh, four-star wing sophomore uh, this year. Very athletic, very long. Um, And he was defending Sean East, who, uh, although he did hit two threes in this game, um, not somebody who has shot well by percentage, um, and a guy who did not attempt a three in the second half. Um, you know, I think there are probably some situations where I would, I would be for fouling up three. I think in that situation, I, I would have told them to defend. Um, you know, I think if you get a long wing defender on, you know, East, even though he's kind of crafty and, uh, and you just make him shoot over the top of you. I, you know, like Sean East did hit a a couple threes, but he's got a relatively low release on his on his shot. Um the guy that I would probably be worried about like getting a catch and shoot probably honestly would have been Golston because he he had already hit one before that and uh he had good size and he's also has such high arc that he uh it's kind of hard to block. Uh and then Kobe Brown. Um I think I'd have been fine with anybody else taking a 3 in that situation. You know, maybe Nick honor but he's also a, a smaller guy. Um right? I, yeah, I think I think the right call there would have just been let, you know, Mashack defend Sean East and and see if Sean East could get a good look off of him cuz I don't think he would have it with 4 seconds left. You know, if you take another second or two to kind of try to get a decent look, um by the time the ball's in the air, like the game's going to be over, you know, and maybe maybe it goes in, maybe it doesn't, but I think the uh, the odds of Sean East hitting a a well defended three, um, pretty low. And you know, again, I'm I tend to be like anti introducing variances <laughs> uh, or, or or variables. I mean, like, and anytime you decide to foul, like you're you're introducing more variables, like more things that you have to do right. Um, and I feel like you can just you can control your team playing good d uh and and I'll, I'll I'll take that guy hits a shot he hits a shot so that that's typically where I fall on 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 it now if they were taking the ball like out of bounds and there was two seconds left um you know I I might reconsider that um you know just because it would probably take them like a, a beat kind of get the ball in and you could foul then you're probably like you know, a second and a half or so. And um, and by that point, even if they missed the amount of time that it would take for the ball to ricochet back to a three point shooter, might be long enough for them not to get a good look. So, you know, it's just stuff like that.
0: I will add two things and then I think we can move on because I'm sure our listeners have probably heard enough of this. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> although I, I do enjoy this conversation, I'm not sure if anyone enjoys listening to it. Um, but the, I will point out that the Numbers that I gave earlier, there there were time variables, um, and all those numbers were under twelve seconds. If it's over twelve seconds, the numbers do not suggest fouling, which probably seems obvious, but I thought I would throw that out there. And the other thing I would point out is that Tennessee managed to do everything wrong, but <laughs> had they had they, they done one of those things right, had any number of things not gone perfectly wrong for them, they win, and. Probably most notable, which I do not even know if um, Viscovy made the second free throw that was waved off, but even if he had missed, Mizzou would have had to rebound that ball. It, Mizzou is not a good rebounding team. How many times does Mizzou give up offensive rebounds? But 38, 40 percent, somewhere in there, um, you know, and then on top of that, you got to go full court and make a shot in four seconds. That's that's a hard ask. But
1: anyway, yeah, Missouri is currently. Uh... Thirty-seven point six um, on the season, uh, and thirty-eight point eight in conference play in defensive rebounding percentage. Right, and that's, offensive rebound percentage given up. So,
0: right, that's um, what opposing teams are doing. The percentage yeah. of misses
1: they're they're getting. That's 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 bad. That's last in the <laughs> SEC and three hundred and sixty-second in Division One. Um, woo, yeah, but they're. They're eighth in turnover percentage. Like, yeah, like I do. I do respect the fact that Missouri like understands that like this is just something that they have to live with, and like the goal is, well, we're gonna we're gonna bleed possessions here, but we can make them up, and this is the only way we can make them up is to is well, to turn to get the, get the turnovers. There's
0: a lot of truth to that. And before we move on from Tennessee, I just wanted to point one other thing out. Um, I did a little digging today and Mizzou has played 26 games. Is that right? 25, 25 games. Um, They are 15 and one. Mizzou is 15 and one when the Tigers shoot over 30% from three point range. The one loss was at Arkansas when they shot 31.6, which obviously isn't a whole lot better than 30. And they were in that game. They were in it start to finish. However, when they shoot under 30%, they are four and five. And the only two wins that have come against non-by-game teams were Arkansas at home when they shot 40 free throws (laughs) and Wichita State on the road when they made 26 two-point field goal attempts, which is the most they've made against any of the non-by-game opponents. So that 30% threshold, is that is a wild a wild statistic you you know i it makes sense the tigers don't defend shots real well so they've got a score but to be 15 and one and four and five and those four and five being having some pretty big outliers in them themselves that's that's crazy so we were, we were talking about the tennessee three-point shooting and mizzou shooting 53.6 percent against them Mm-hmm. And they won by one, <laughs> you know, it's just that three point shooting is it's always important in college basketball. We've talked about that time and time again, but it might be more important for Mizzou than just about any team. And it's it's crazy.
1: And it's also like incredibly important in the SEC, like, you know, being able to score points, um, you know, is is honestly, it's one of the reasons why like Texas A&M is doing what they've done so far this year. Um, you know, like a lot of people sort of associate, you know, Buzz Williams with like his teams are going to defend and defend hard. He's got a top 20 offense. Um, and so like one of the things that's working for them is, is they, they're able to generate points. Um, If you, if you look at the SEC overall, you know, teams that can score, are teams that are having success. I mean, Alabama, you know, granted, they're, they're, the big key for Al- Alabama is, is whether or not they're going to defend. Um, and they're defending this year, and so because their offense is pretty much always going to be good under Nate Oates, if they defend, they're going to be great. Um, like Auburn has struggled offensively, and they're not the kind of team that we're used to seeing. Um, Arkansas has struggled to score points this year. Um, And they're not the team that we thought we were going to get. If you kind of go up and down the road or up and down the league, like, you know, the the teams that have shot the ball well recently, like Vanderbilt, they're on a three game winning streak. And all of a sudden everybody's like, Ooh, look at Vanderbilt, Mississippi state gets anything to fall. (laughs) And, you know, and suddenly they can beat just about anybody like beating Arkansas on the road. Um, Yeah. Just being able to find offense in a league that, uh, doesn't always offense well. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, like if Missouri's going to have an off night at some point the rest of the year, um, you know, chances are if they ha- have an off night, it's probably going to be against, <laughs> uh, or it's probably going to end up being a loss because they just don't defend well enough. Um, most think, likely a
0: lopsided one.
1: Yeah. And I think what you do is you hope that it's not a, a game that you really can't afford to lose. Um, but one of the things that i like about winning at tennessee is it really creates a buffer for that kind of game and i i think specifically i'm probably looking at you know the road game at georgia the road game at lsu um you know two teams that are sub 100 in kempom you know two games that theoretically you should win but like winning on the road's tough and uh you know and at some point like LSU is, LSU's got to beat somebody at some point, right? Um, LSU has lost 11 games in a row, 12 games in a row. Um, like, I don't think they're going to finish the rest of the year just losing to everybody. Uh, and Georgia just beat Kentucky at home. And granted, Kentucky is not what we thought they were going to be. Um, but they're also not bad, Um and and so that's a solid win. So those, those are going to be like two games that are, that are maybe you, you worry, but you lose them. But I think what the Tennessee game or Tennessee win does is it allows you to maybe have that slip up and it doesn't quite hurt the way it, it, it might've, if you, if you didn't have that Tennessee win.
0: Yeah, it definitely, it definitely uh, gives you some room for comfort and, a lot of room, actually. I'm not sure if we want to get into the, the bracket talk now or save that later. Save that for later. But uh yeah, I mean, it was it was a it was a huge win. I, and if you really look at it in these terms, that when Mizzou entered that game, Tennessee was number three in the net, which is the net is one of the NCAA tournament committee's tools that they use to grade wins and losses. They rank all 363 teams and Tennessee was ranked third, and they give you more points or more range of teams to play that fall within quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four when you're playing in neutral site and road games. And if you consider that this was a road game at number three, there are only two theoretical options of a bigger win in college basketball, and that would be whoever's number two, I forget now, and uh, Houston. On the road, those are the only ways that probably you probably Alabama. It might have been Alabama. I'm not one hundred percent sure, um, but it was the third best win you could have gotten in college basketball in any venue against any team. So it, it, it's a big win. It's a, it's a massive win for a lot of reasons. But what you're saying is certainly one of them. It gives them some room for a margin of error. It, it increases the margin of error. We'll call it that.
1: Well, and they probably needed it because this week is going to be another tough week. Um, so we're recording this Monday, February 13th. Um, tomorrow is February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day to those who celebrate that. Uh, and to celebrate Valentine's Day, uh, Dennis Gates was invited to hang out with Bruce Pearl for, the, for an evening. Um, mm-hmm. What better Valentine's Day uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, could, could you have an evening with 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 Bruce Pearl um Auburn in that building still very tough team to beat uh they have lost a few games this year in uh in Auburn arena and um they are losers of five of their last six games um granted uh all of those Games that they have lost are to teams that are ranked uh, Texas A&M 33rd in Ken Palm and higher. So they've lost to Texas A&M twice. They were uh, losers at West Virginia on the road. They lost by three points. West Virginia is currently 20th in Ken Palm. Uh, They whipped Georgia at home, and then they lost at Tennessee, at Texas A&M, and lost to Alabama at home. So Alabama is... I think a lot of teams sort of odds on favorite or a lot of people's odds on favorite this year um, to to be maybe the top overall seed. Um, You know, it's probably going to be either them or Houston. Alabama is just, they look great. Um, They didn't shoot the ball well and they still scored 77 points uh, and, and won by eight points against, against an Auburn team that that's pretty stingy defensively. So going into Auburn arena, against a Bruce Pearl team that has that has hit the skids a little bit um, but is still very very dangerous and it's i really kind of like feel like we need to reiterate that like even though they've lost 5 of 6 like they aren't exactly playing bad
0: <laughs> no <laughs> they've, still... they've been playing well in these games for the most yeah, part yeah they're
1: still top 30 in kimbom um they still i mean if you watched him play last year they're very similar they're a little less athletic in the front line um without walker kessler and, and jabari smith But the guard play is still the same the guard play still dominates uh janai broom um transfers in and he's he's not quite the you know big athletic you know super jump high guy uh in the middle there but um but he's really savvy and he's he uh He's a really smart defender. He times his jumps well, uh, and he blocks a lot of shots. So um, this is going to be a tough game. And then to kind of turn around and and you know if you're able to win that game, you are rewarded by uh, coming back to Missouri Arena and having to face Texas A&M, who's gone from six and five to eighteen and seven, uh, and they're ten and two in conference with their only losses being on the road to Arkansas and Kentucky. Um, They're playing really well. They, like we said before, they they defend pretty hard, um, but they're really pretty good on, on offense. And as we saw on the trip to College Station, one of the things that they do is they rebound the ball offensively and they get to the free throw line.
0: Yes, both of those, both of the teams that Mizzou plays this week are quite good at offensive rebounding, which is always a concern. Um, Auburn, perhaps more concerning than A&M. A&M shot the ball relatively well from outside, but Auburn has held it together pretty well despite shooting under 30% from three-point range. And that, to me, is concerning um, because, generally speaking, bad shooting teams have managed to find their stroke against Mizzou. And if they are still good despite not having shooting, introducing shooting into the equation isn't really conducive to winning. So I'm not saying that they're going to go off, but that's a concern to me. On the other hand, Auburn does turn the ball over a lot, as I'm sure you're well aware of having watched Katie Davis for Katie, whatever his name is, (laughs) not Davis. Katie Johnson. Katie Johnson. The guy is just a running disaster. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) how else to describe it. He's like the Tasmanian devil. He just he doesn't really know where he's going, but he's going there 100 miles an hour. So that is one benefit, and they also foul a lot. That requires some help from the officials. However, as we discussed, we can't count on that. Um, <clears throat> so it's an interesting matchup. I think you know it. A lot of it, I think, will depend on who's available for Mizzou. I really think that I don't want to say they're lucky. They they earned that win Saturday, but. I don't know how long they can go playing just eight players. Um, they're they best. They're at their best defensively when they're pressuring, and you can't play forty minutes of pressure defense with seven or eight guys. It's it just can't be done. Um, so getting a Trae Million back, um, obviously Isaiah Mosley. Uh, I I think we're kind of at the point now where we should probably expect. DeGray to be out for the remainder of the year, although I don't know that, but seeing that he's been seen in a leg brace, it doesn't seem conducive to being back in the next couple weeks. Um, <clears throat> but if you get 9-10 guys, that changes the equation a whole lot, especially when they're both backcourt players that were originally in your rotation. Um, that That allows you a lot more flexibility to go out there and create some pressure. So how that shakes out this week I think will be big. Um, obviously Mizzou's outside shooting as we talked about. Can they shoot the ball? Well, if they can, they've got a real good chance to win one or both games. If they don't, it's going to be a struggle. So,
1: Yeah, I would, uh, I mean, obviously the the goal should be to go to 2-0. I would want to win the Texas A&M game at home a little more um, than winning at Auburn. I mean, it's always, always good to beat Bruce Pearl and I would not hate the you know just the look from the outside of you know <laughs> Auburn under Pearl and some kind of like tailspin even though they're really not they're just losing to good teams um but I re- I really think that that you know that stretch of uh of two games against you know two teams that have already beaten you um you know Texas A&M, Mississippi State like I really think it's going to be good for for Missouri to find a way to kind of get two wins out of out of those two games um and I would be more than willing to sacrifice a win at Auburn in order to make sure that you get those two wins if you get those two wins I feel like the opportunity uh to sort of finish at like you know 12 and 6 uh and and league play is is kind of high um You're talking about taking a loss at Auburn and then, you know, being seven and six, but getting to eight and six, nine and six. Uh, And then all you have to do is go on the road, beat Georgia, go on the road, beat LSU, and then come back home and beat Ole Miss. Um, And you're, you're probably in discussion for a double buy in the league play. And so if I, I would say like, if, losing to Auburn meant that they could turn around and beat Texas A&M and Mississippi state. I would, I would take that loss. Um, But then again, I mean, I'm not going to be upset if they win at Auburn. (laughs) Uh, No, it's just just like, yeah. Getting into that final five game stretch. It's, it's really difficult, you know, and with Missouri's ability to just sort of, kind of not hit those shots from the outside, um to basically see them winning out. Uh, and so I think at some point they're probably gonna take a loss. I would the, the the best case or best loss you could have it it'd be, you know, a top thirty team uh a quad one loss, you know, losing losing on the road at Auburn. Um so but you know, by all means, if they want to just win out and and go six and zero, finish thirteen and five, I mean, <laughs> I'm for it. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to come across as saying, yeah, I'd, like I don't want Missouri to win all the games. I do want them to win all the games. Um, I just like the the way Auburn plays it, it, and the fact that they've kind of been on a little bit of a streak. Um, I think it's really going to be hard to win tomorrow night. Um, They're going to
0: want it. They're going to want it. They need this game.
1: I would love Missouri to just hit 60% from three and just run Texas A&M out of the gym. Um, Mainly because I feel like, you know, Buzz Williams and that team, they they deserve to be punished by somebody for their awful non-conference play. Like, Buzz, stop scheduling so poorly and then losing those games, like how do you schedule this bad, and then lose those games?
0: So I've got a question for you. Um, Buzz wears a a vest, a, a suit vest for games. Um, when Mizzou visited Oxford, Kermit was wearing a hilariously large quilted zip up <laughs> vest. My question for you: Choose your fighter. Which vest you taken? Do you like the you like the clean cut, shaved head? mafia boss look or do you like the I'm going camping and I I have my
1: tent stuffed under my
0: under my vest look
1: I've always appreciated uh, a guy who who dresses well Uh, I appreciate that that Buzz Williams has well-tailored suits I do think that his body type is a little (laughs) different Um, and so sometimes he kind of looks like like his head's just gonna kind of pop uh like pop right out of that little uh suit jacket um <clears throat> i feel like he could use a little bit more room particularly around the collar uh you know i i know that the specific um you know tailored cut is that it, it is supposed to be like pretty snug around the neck um but i yeah i I think overall buzz's taste in clothes is pretty solid uh, I like the fact that he and, and Dennis Gates both are our team. You know, we're going to wear suits. Uh, I don't I don't mind that, like, like you're you're coaching a basketball game, like you're, you're not attending a wedding. Um, so I don't necessarily mind that, like, a lot of coaches have sort of embraced the more casual atmosphere that seems to sort of be taking root since covid. Um, you know, but I, I definitely still have respect for for Buzz and his. And honestly, like I really like I like Buzz mainly because he's one of the few uh coaches who gives like real kind of candid answers in his interviews. Um, he'll take a really poor question uh and he'll turn it into a really good answer. And I like any coach that does that and actually like enjoys and relishes talking basketball is somebody who I think we should respect and embrace a little bit. I still hope that Missouri runs the piss out of them. Well, when they come to Missouri. No. All right, that's a that's a fair answer.
0: No love, no love for Kermit's tent. I get it. No, I, you know, like,
1: and Kermit, God bless him, is like the frumpiest of of dressers. Just like I, I he, he, I think he's very comfortable and like 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 Bill Belichick levels of uh, of like sweatshirt wearing and sometimes like you, you need something that's gonna I don't know flatter you a little more. Um <laughs> like we we don't all have, you know, the bodies of some of these young college players who are in the b- best shape of their lives. Um but you can still wear something that makes you look, you know you know, not like a, a tent as you put it. <laughs> yeah, his poncho. <laughs> so Although it was uh, raining that night
0: the the tigers were raining threes so fair enough oh
1: <laughs> all right uh, I we, yeah we are at the 50 minute mark and i usually try to kind of wrap these up by that point uh are there any final points that you wanted to get to uh on auburn and texas a&m before we kind of hit this practicality stuff and we can get out of here no i
0: think we're good let's see what happens
1: uh, so yeah, two and zero. Let's finish uh the year six and zero, and and just kind of go from there. Um, so you published your uh your S curve. Um, the Rockin' bracket racket is, I think, what we're calling it. Uh, Missouri is sitting um as the what first eight seed currently.
0: That's correct. The number twenty nine team in the bracket.
1: Uh the 7 seeds are Miami, Northwestern, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, 6 seeds Michigan State, Rutgers, Illinois, TCU. Uh what are the Tigers got to do to get off that 8 line? Um
0: not a whole lot to be perfectly honest. The there was a gap and I think a lot of people who don't look real deep into this and I'm not blaming anyone who does or doesn't, I just happen to have taken a probably too deep look into it. Um, that when you start crunching these numbers, even within the seed lines, there's gaps. Like, you know, okay, well, we won this week and we didn't move up. Well, that's because the team right ahead of you, there's a huge gap in between the resumes. It's not linear from 1 to 68 as the S curve would make it look. So despite there being some gaps, Mizzou managed to move from 36 last Monday and I toyed around with the numbers last Friday, didn't publish anything, but there were 37, 38, somewhere in there, which would have been a high 10 seed um, going into this weekend. And they jumped up to one spot away from a seven seed. That's, that's a huge jump. (laughs) You know, that's, that's really massive. um, Especially for just one game, but Mm -hmm. the Tigers resume is going to be an interesting one. Um, It it's, there's always a couple each year where, The wins and losses don't match up with the power rankings and vice versa. And Mizzou is going to be one of those teams this year. They currently, if you've read any of my pieces in the section below the actual bracket, I've listed a bunch of different numbers and explanations of things there. But to put it very briefly, there's basically three types of metrics that are available. One is the net. Another is what we call resume metrics, which grade how well of a resume you you accumulated. That looks just at wins and losses. It looks at who you beat, where you beat them. It does not take into account um, margin of victory, anything like that. And then there's what's called the predictive metrics, which are your Kim Pomeroy rankings, um, Sagarin, and the ESPN BPI. And those take into account, obviously, who you played and what you did against them. But the margin of victory is huge in those. So if you're running up huge margins and not losing any big margins, you're going to go up really high. Whereas Mizzou, they've won a lot of close games, um, like, for instance, this past weekend where they won by one, albeit an incredibly huge win, but they were up 17 at one point. The 17-point win would have looked a lot different in the predictive metrics Whereas in the resume metrics, it looks identical if that makes any sense. So basic- yeah, I mean,
1: you could win every game that you play, but if you win by one point, you're not going to have the like the best that's right uh, you know the, the best predictive metrics in the country, despite winning every game. Um, you know, because some of those opponents that you beat by one are not going to be uh, all the same. Right. Um and I think like that's essentially like what we've tried to say about Missouri's defense is the defense you know even with without the crunch time stuff has just not been uh you know has not been good. Uh they're they're poor defensively. Um they're good enough offensively that it it doesn't matter a lot of nights <laughs> like right. against yeah. against Tennessee. Um but it's still it still matters when you're trying to You know, like project. So if you're you're beating Tennessee by one, that's great. If you're also beating Georgia by one, well, you know, like that's, like that's going to be reflected in different ways and how you played against a worse opponent.
0: You moved up, beating Tennessee by one. You dropped by several spots, beating South Carolina by nine. You know, it it matters who you play and how much you beat them by. Because I think Mizzou should have, according to the metrics, beat. South Carolina by 17. They only won by nine. They dropped. They were 12, 13-point underdogs per the metrics against Tennessee. They won by one. They move up. Um, so it's, you know, had they lost by one, they still would have moved up. It's, it's more about strict point margin than it is about results. And I know that's going to get some people howling, but that's not the only factor in these resume considerations. It's a factor, but it's not the factor. Um the really big thing that I found that the committee does is when you take they have two resume metrics. one is a independent guy who works for Michigan state. he's developed his own strength of resume um, set up, and then there's the e s p n strength of record and if you take those two average together, you get what's called the strength of resume average and No team that is ranked in the top 40, I'm sorry, the top 35, no team has missed the NCAA tournament when they're ranked in the top 35 in that average. One team missed it in the top 40, and that was Louisville in a very weird 2021 season when they played something like 18 games. But you were pretty much going to be a lock if you were in the top 35. Um, And I had looked back through some of these resume metric averages and I believe there were something in around 15 to 20 teams that had finished between 15 and 20, ranked, the resume average, ranked between 15 and 20. And Mizzou's currently sits at 18.5, so right in that range. And all but two of those teams were a 4, 5, or 6 seed. The two outliers in the group were Iowa in 2021. Whose predictive metrics were way better than the resume, they got a two seed. There was one outlier in the lower half, which was Clemson in 2021, and their predictive metrics were worse. They ended up as a seven. So that kind of gives you an idea that if you are in that group, a four, five, or six is very common, unless your predictive metrics are worse, then you may drop down just a little bit. And Mizzou is in that latter bucket. However, if they keep winning games and their margins are kept respectable, then they might move up into that area where they're in line with the resume metrics. So, and if they, if they were to do that, you'd be looking at a something as high as maybe a four or five um, more likely a six somewhere in there. Um, But beating Tennessee opened up that conversation. Had they not done that, it would have been, you know, what wins do we still need? What wins can't we take or what losses can't we take to still get in the tournament? Whereas now it's, you know, you can start allowing yourself to think about seeding a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I, like I still think Missouri is is at a point where they're not a lock. Um, but if they play well enough the rest of the way, like they're not going to be sweating at all. Um, they're going to be solidly in. Uh, if if they just perform to like Ken expectations and finish 23 and eight and 11 and seven, um, you know, they're probably a seven seed. Uh,
0: I was a believer in 22 wins prior to Tennessee, 22 wins. And I believe that would have been 10 and eight, 10 and eight in conference. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would have gotten it done. You add the Tennessee win in there and still get to 22 wins and 10 and eight there's no way they're getting left out with that resume absolutely yeah so that Tennessee win that's what it does to your resume it goes from it should be enough you should be comfortable to no doubt about it
1: yeah so if a lot of people kind of remember what it was like a couple of years ago when you know Missouri was in a sort of a similar situation uh, you know they faltered a little bit down the stretch um, but because the you know the resume was so strong at the at the front uh, it didn't you know it didn't cost them a trip to the NCAA tournament i mean it did cost them a probably a seed line or two uh so you don't you don't want to kind of you know finish this up in ugly fashion um but essentially what you're doing now is is you are you're you're playing for a seed line and the more games that you can win uh the more likely you are to kind of be able to move up um, and i i don't want to over generalize
0: i i hate doing that but there's kind of a breaking point around the eight seed line that when you get above that, you have to win to move up. I mean, the, the teams you're competing with at that point are winning games down the stretch. When you get down to that eight, nine and lower range, that's where teams are playing their way out of the tournament. It's the, it's the last last man standing type situation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, once when, when you talk about getting up to a seven seed teams, you're not just going to pass teams because you beat, Georgia and Ole Miss. I mean those 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 are fine wins, but another team might be beating Baylor in Texas that week. It, you know those are completely different teams that they're beating. Um, so it's Mizzou's chances of marquee wins are getting kind of slim down the stretch. Um, Tennessee was the, I mean that that was the big prize and they got it. So that it, it just really changes the dynamics considerably.
1: Yeah. Uh, especially when you're wrapping up with, you know, Georgia, uh, Ole Miss, and um, just blank on LSU. LSU on <laughs> the road, yeah. Um, yeah. W- when you're finishing up with those three, like it, it does sort of. Missouri is basically going to be able to move up if they get some wins over the next three games. After that, uh, they're they're pretty much just, you know, it's it's going to be. You know trying to just hold steady essentially um so with that, we'll get out of here we uh think we we're gonna eclipse an hour um but I believe me and the other Matt will be back next week to break down the uh the auburn and texas a and m games to to look ahead uh as we always do uh, to Mississippi state and Georgia, we will basically be able to kind of talk all that through. Um, and then we'll probably bring, uh, Watkins back on here within the next couple of weeks, to kind of, you know, talk more about this bracket stuff, because we are getting to the point, uh, where that is going to be the main topic of discussion. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, pro- probably after, after a couple of weeks, then like that last week, and then you hit the SEC tournament and then there's, uh, and there's Selection Sunday. So um, we're not we're not that far away from from the March madness as we hit here in mid-February. Uh, so with all that being said, uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you uh, did enjoy this podcast, make sure that you are subscribed to our podcast feed wherever you download and listen to your podcast. That's at Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. You can also find us on Spotify. Uh, we will show up on Spotify. You can listen right there in the app. Uh, if you are subscribed you also will get before the box score beam directly into your phone and can listen to Nate and BK as they discuss everything uh, that is forthcoming you'll see if uh, the next episode will have any Chiefs talk, BK is over the moon uh, Watkins is his Chiefs they they won the Superb Owl um, <laughs> if you enjoy all this nonsense head over to rockinbination.com uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sam T. Snelling. He's at Data Mizzou, Matt Watkins, uh, giving you all the uh, the wonderful uh, mobile phone screenshotted uh, videos yeah, videos uh, right into your Twitter feed. Uh, you can also follow Matt at MattJHarris85. And then we will be back next week with more Dive Cuts. So thanks for tuning in.